0: You are listening to audio from the Creek Church. If you would like more information about the Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. There's a lot going on around here this summer. Um, We had students at camp two weeks ago, elementary kids at camp last week, and then Wednesday, we've got a team heading to Nicaragua. And so, before we get into everything, um, if you are part of our Nicaragua team, would you please uh, come up here uh, so we can uh, love on you and pray for you before you go? Um, And just in case we can give you some final instructions, remember don't drink the water. You know, bottled water only, filtered water only. Um, But uh, would you uh, give our Nicaragua team a hand? Mm -mm. They leave Wednesday, and uh, I'm going to pray for their trip, and would you just join me in praying for them? So, Father, we love you, and we thank you for, for this group. We thank you that you uh, put a call on us to go into all the world and, and bring the gospel. And so, Father, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the sacrifice that's gone in into paying for this trip. Thank you for the work that you've done in preparing their hearts for this trip. And God, we just ask you now for your protection over them as they travel. And uh, we ask for you to do incredible things in every one of their lives. And we pray that you do incredible things through every one of their lives. Lord, we pray that, that as they go and serve the people of Nicaragua, that there's an incredible blessing um, that you put on on this team and that you put on the people that are being served. And most of all, we pray for lives to be saved. We pray for your gospel to be made clear, for Jesus to be made clear in how they love uh, the people they come in contact with. And we look forward to celebrating them being home and hearing all the great things that that you've accomplished because of your great name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. Be safe, have fun. It's gonna be awesome. So give them some love. Pray for them this week as you think about it. Put a reminder on your phone or, you know, the old school reminder, a post-it note. uh, Remind yourself to pray for them always. Uh, This has been an incredible weekend. Last week was awesome. And I say baptism weekends are my favorite weekends because it's it's a way that we celebrate as a church lives that have been changed. And last week we baptized 13 people. And this week I spent some time rereading some of those testimonies and, um, Man, it was one of those things you get on Facebook where it says you better have some tissues handy. And so us guys are like, well, I'm not going to watch that then. Um, And then you find yourself clicking on it. like, I'm not going to cry. And you're like, I don't know what happened. I just don't know what happened. Um, That's what happened when I started rereading those testimonies from last week. And it was just an incredible thing. And um, I love baptisms. And then this morning, I got the opportunity to pray with a family and uh uh, one gentleman came to the altar at the end of service and said, I'm ready. I'm done. I'm ready to give my life over to Jesus. And so we got to pray for him this morning with his family. And so even that was a cry fest and it was awesome. Um, so I love I love seeing lives changed. I'll just put it that way. I love baptisms because we celebrate it, but I love seeing lives changed. And, and uh, this gentleman, I can't wait for his baptism because his testimony is incredible. He's, He's gone through the loss of a spouse um, and all the emotions with God, and then today just surrendered it all. And uh, all that happens in the context of community. That happens, and and I love the creek, and I love you guys because you're, you're a church, you're a people that are committed to being in a community where the gospel is the center of everything we do. And you're, you're a group of people that are gathered in community where Jesus is the priority. And I love getting to walk with you. I love getting to be a part of this community. And, and, and I would say this, a lot of the, the testimonies that we hear and the salvations and the baptisms come out of a context of those communities where there are people willing to love others and make Jesus clear. And, and you and I need community. You and I need to be in connection and relationship with other people, and and we need that in community where it's centered around the gospel and centered around Jesus. We need people to encourage us and strengthen us and strengthen our faith, and and although we don't like this part of it, we need accountability too. I need people that can say, Matt, look, I I love you, and, and, and this isn't healthy for you. And it's interesting when you, when you get in that context of community, how much you're encouraged and how much life changes. There's something holy. I, I guess I would say it this way. What life group are you in? I mean, what, what is your context of community that's centered around the gospel? Because there's something incredible that happens when you get around a table, um, or most life groups, it's a kitchen island. There's something sacred about the, the island and the kitchen, right? Um, especially if there's salsa on that, because that's my blood type. I don't care if, you're, if you like mild salsa or if you like ghost pepper salsa. I had some ghost pepper salsa the other day and it was so hot, and I'm sweating, and I'm on fire, but I couldn't stop eating it. I was just like, I just, this hurts, but I just love salsa. But there's something that happens when you're around that center island, that kitchen island, And there's incredible things that happen around the table. And today I want to look at an experience that happened in the life of Jesus around a table in Luke chapter 7. So if you've got your Bible, then then meet me there. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Um, If you've got a smartphone, you can go to an app we use called Version, And there's a tab called Events. And then it'll show our events. So you can even get the scripture and even the the sermon notes out of Version. And I uh, want to say howdy to everybody in Facebook land on our Facebook live. Love you. You can give a like and uh, just leave a comment and say, "What's up? Glad you're here. Um, if you're here and you're going to the U-Version app, stop by Facebook, give us a, a like or a check-in. Check-in, which is awesome. If you're going to write a review, it better be five stars or don't write one at all. Um, <laughs> so otherwise, I will track you down. Um, isn't it amazing how, how we put so much weight on that. Crap, but um, anyway, um, Luke chapter seven. Um, Jesus gets invited uh, to a Pharisee's house for dinner, and, and and I wrestled with this a little bit because you know we tend to, uh, we, I tend to, I don't want to put all of us in this judgment. I tend to get a little bit stiff um, when, when with religious people. Um, I tend to have more grace towards people who don't know Jesus because. Uh, lost people are going to act like lost people. But people who are religious kind of know the rules and know the system, and yet they're, they're, they're just, I, don't, I have a hard time with that. And so when, when I started st- studying and reading this passage that Jesus gets invited to a Pharisee's house, when you see Jesus interact with the Pharisees, um, especially in Luke. We've been studying Luke for months now, going verse by verse. And when you see Jesus interact with Pharisees, there's typically confrontation, there's tension, and there's, there's, there's a butting of heads. And, and so when I started reading this and I was thinking, Jesus, why'd you go to the Pharisee's house? I mean, you know what's coming. I mean, it's that, that that dinner party inv- invitation you get when you're like, I really don't want to go um, because I know it's going to be tension. For some of y'all, it's your family. You know, I don't want to go to this birthday party because I know what the tension's going to be. I know it's going to be crazy. I don't want to go. And so you already start trying to figure out your excuses, but you can't get out of it. And and husbands and wives, you, you're beautiful you move so beautifully tactically in this procedure. You come up with your nonverbal clues on how to make your exit. You know, it's not like, oh, we've got to go. You're over there like, you know, the wife says, okay, when I do this, it's time to go. So you're over there eating salsa. You know, you're just like watching your wife's ear. You're like, go, 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 you know? So maybe that's just my family. I don't know. But, um, but I'm thinking, Jesus, why'd you go? Because you know it's gonna be, it's gonna be tension and, and there's a constant butting heads that goes on in this. And, and, and I just felt God say, um, religious people need Jesus too. And so Jesus said, I came to bring the gospel to all people and the religious people need it just as much because we can get so caught up in the rules and tradition and the way we've always done things that we really miss Jesus. And he says, that's what I've come for. And so I I started really looking at this passage a lot different. And so uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house. This is verse 36. Went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, she was a prostitute, um, who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So so let me set the scene here because um, it, it, it's a different context for us when we think, okay, there's a dinner party happening and then this woman just walks in the house. Uh, the way this would happen is... Uh, uh, the Pharisee's name we'll learn in a minute is Simon, so I'm gonna call him Simon. Um, so Simon invites Jesus to his house, and and there would have been a little bit of stir about this because a rabbi's coming to one of the Pharisees' houses. And so people who were not invited and women would not have been invited to this dinner, they would have gathered in the courtyard of the house and there was no glass in the windows. And so people would gather around the windows and gather in the courtyard to hear what the important people are talking about. And so what's you've got to kind of set the scene that Jesus goes into this house and, and there's people kind of around the house wanting to hear what these religious leaders are gonna talk about. And, and this woman's in the crowd and she realizes that Jesus is in the house and makes her way in. Now, there has to be some kind of familiarity with Jesus because when she's in the crowd, she, doesn't, she wouldn't have recognized Jesus. She's had to have some interaction with him before. And when you really start looking at a timeline of the Gospels, you know, you've got the Gospels, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's four different authors that wrote about the, the life, um, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, so we can get different perspectives on who Jesus is. And so they're, they're, they're telling the gospel story. They're telling the, 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 the account of Jesus and his ministry, and his crucifixion and resurrection, so that we can know who God is. We can know Jesus. And they're, when you study those in not just individual books, but when you put the gospels out and create a timeline of events in the life of Jesus, then what you would find is just before this scene... Jesus was giving a sermon and the sermon's recorded in Matthew 11 and at the end of that sermon, he said, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. And it's believed that this woman would have been in that crowd that heard that sermon. And there's something about Jesus's words that had touched her enough that when she was at the house in the courtyard, outside of the house, when she realized it was Jesus in there, she made her way in. And the way it would, the scene would have played out inside the house is when you had a special guest, they would put these little couches around the table. And so they would recline with their elbow on the table. They'd be laying on the couch, which is awesome. Remember that? Remember like, mom, can we eat on the couch? No, you can't eat on the couch. Most of y'all eat on the couch now. You don't even know what your your kitchen table is for except collecting mail. But they, they are... Um, Jesus would have been reclining on the table. You know, he wouldn't have had salsa yet, um, but he probably would have had something because he's, he's God and he knows how holy salsa is, so he's probably having, he, he's probably eating the broccoli, and since he's God, it's turning into something that tastes awesome in his mouth. But, um, but see, he would have been reclining and his feet would have been behind him and they're engaged in conversation. So while this is happening, this woman comes in and she starts crying. She's standing over his feet. She's weeping, and the tears are hitting his feet. She takes this ointment, and she begins to rub it on his feet. She's kissing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. Incredible scene that's happening. And Simon, the or the Pharisee, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, said to himself, so he sees what's happening. And instead of going, how'd she get in the house? Or Because it would have been common for people to kind of float in and out of the house when a party like this is going on. But he looks at her and he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus really was who he said he was, then, then he would have known what sort of woman this is and who it is touching him, for she's a sinner. So this Pharisee had already associated. He somehow knew the reputation of this woman. And he already begins to cast the judgment. She's a sinner. And if Jesus was who he said he is, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. And so I love this, that Jesus really does show that he is a prophet because he perceives the thoughts of the Pharisee. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Now, notice this. He said, say it, teacher. Simon the Pharisee recognizes the rabbinical authority of Jesus. He recognizes him as a rabbi and a a religious teacher because he says, say it, teacher. Say it, rabbi. So Jesus tells him a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. That's like 80 bucks versus eight bucks. When they could not pay... He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Don't get hung up in this passage about the amount of sin. We like to connect the dot and say, well, well, so, so you have a lot of sin and I don't have a lot of sin or that person doesn't have a lot of sin and I have a lot of sin. Jesus isn't telling this parable for us to come up with an amount of sin. What he's doing is trying to get us to the awareness that we have a debt that we cannot pay. Regardless of the amount, he said one owed 500, one owed 50, one owed 80 bucks, one owed eight. Neither one of them could pay. If you have a a debt hanging over you that you can't pay, it doesn't matter the amount, right? You have a debt you cannot pay, and so Jesus is trying to get us to an awareness that that there's a debt that we cannot pay, and and so Jesus is is challenging Simon in this, And, and I love what he does. Jesus turns to the woman and said to Simon, so he turns to the woman, but he's talking to Simon, and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Now, Simon saw the woman, but, but I think there's something deeper that we are, might miss here, that Jesus says, do you see the woman? Because what Simon saw was a sinner, a prostitute, someone who had come in to his house and was at the feet of Jesus. What Jesus sees is a woman who needs a debt canceled. Let, let me help you with something. You, you might be struggling right now, or you've gone through times in your life where, God, where are you? God, do you see what's going on? And can I tell you the truth of God's word? He sees you. And he doesn't see the mess. He sees you. And he loves you. Don't miss that. Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. So so there was a tradition and a custom that would have been followed for Simon the Pharisee. when he invited Jesus into his house, he, he set out the couches for the, for, the, for the important guests, for special guests. But there was also some customs that would have been followed in this dinner party. That when Jesus showed up, Simon would have had a servant ready to wash the feet of Jesus. And that was just a sign that, that hey, you've, you've walked here. Your feet are dirty. We want, we want to wash your feet. We want to serve you and welcome to my home. Then Simon would have greeted Jesus with a kiss. And every man said, no, thank you. Um, handshake is fine. <laughs> Fist bump. Um, but it would have been like a kiss on the cheek. That was custom. And then Simon would have anointed Jesus' head with oil as a sign of respect and say, I'm glad to have you in my home and may the Lord bless this visit. So he doesn't do any of that. Jesus calls him out on it. All of the customs and traditions, Simon, you didn't do. But this woman has done it all. She washed my feet with her tears. She dried my feet with her hair. You wouldn't give me a kiss on the cheek. She has kissed my feet since the time I got here. And she's anointed my feet with this ointment. I think it's cool that she anointed his feet because I think of Isaiah 51 when it says, how beautiful are the feet who bring good news. And then the prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah 62 when he says, I've been anointed to bring good news to the poor. I mean, she's anointing the feet of the good news who's bringing the good news to the whole world. And so he says, Simon, not only did you not do it what she's done, she outdid what you even could have done. Calls him out on it. And then, then he, he deals with the woman. He says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Remember, the one who's gonna love more, the one who realizes the great debt that's been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Jesus said to the woman, your sins are are forgiven. And then the, the other people that were at the table were baffled by what Jesus said, because who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus is God. And in this, this moment, Jesus is laying claim to his deity because the religious leaders at that table knew that only God could forgive sin. And so here you have Jesus saying to this woman, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Both the woman and Simon needed forgiveness. And only one left there in the revelation of forgiveness. This revelation of forgiveness that you and I are called to, it opens our eyes to a reality of a new life, that when we we place Jesus at the center of our life, when we humble ourselves to him and submit to him as our Lord and Savior, then there is a forgiveness that cancels our debt. We need a pardon from our debt, and Jesus is that pardon. And when we realize the forgiveness that he's opened up for us in our lives, it leads us to live a different life. That's the series we've been in called Transitions. See, when we give our life to Christ, when we get saved, when we experience salvation, then, then we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That life should be different. And we live in this transition of trying to leave that old way of life and live focused on the life that God has raised us for and called us to and saved us for. And that that begins to lead us into different things. And forgiveness changes a lot of things in our life. Forgiveness leads us to worship. I mean, worship is, is, is our response to the graciousness of God. Look at this woman. Uh, this is probably some of the most genuine worship that I've seen. I mean, this is John 4 worship. When Jesus said to the woman at the well, that a time is coming and has now come that my worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. There's so much honesty, and it's just raw worship. I mean, think about it. The word for worship in Greek is proskuneo, proskuneo. And it means kissing the hand of the king, or, or in many translations, and many kind of dialects, it would mean um, a dog licking the hand of the master. This woman has humbled herself, and she's kissing the feet of the king of kings and lord of lords. She's kissing the feet of the lamb that was sacrificed for our sin. I mean, she has humbled herself. I mean, in, in worship, there's, there's tears and, and, and these tears represent pain, they represent shame, they represent guilt. I know a lot of people who are forgiven, but the revelation of forgiveness hasn't been fully realized, and you've allowed your shame that you've carried for so many years to keep you from the fullness of the presence of God. That you feel that because of that guilt or that shame that you can't be fully in the presence of God and the enemy has somehow allowed you to buy into the lie that God doesn't love you that much because of what you've done or what you carry. This woman was a prostitute and has fallen on the mercy of Jesus. And the tears that she's crying, she's bringing it all to the feet of Jesus. Can I tell you something? The only place that I can get my shame dealt with is at the feet of Jesus. There's nothing else that I can experience. There's nothing else I can do that can wipe away those tears. This woman's wiping his feet with her hair. And scripture tells us that a woman's hair is her glory. It's her pride. She's taking her pride and she's wiping his feet. What incredible humility. How many of us come in to worship and, and we're just unwilling to humble ourselves? And she's taken everything and she is serving Jesus. Serving is an act of worship. This foot washing that she's doing would have been reserved for the lowest of servants in the household. I remember what Jesus said that if, he who wants to be the greatest must become the least. And she humbled herself before Jesus. And he said, if you humble yourself before me, I'll exalt you. Serving is an act of worship. When we serve others in the name of Jesus, it's an act of worship. On Wednesday, when our team goes to Nicaragua, Nicaragua to serve the people of Nicaragua, that's Worship. This woman gave. She brought this alabaster flask. It's an expensive perfume and she's pouring it on his feet. Giving is an act of worship. And and one of the things we do at the Creek when we launched the church, I felt strongly about giving stations instead of passing a plate in front of people. Number one, I think God is sovereign and he will fund his vision. And I don't need to put a plate in front of people's face to remind them of that. Second, Our giving, Jesus said, is an act of worship to be done in secret. So we use the giving stations, but giving is an act of worship. See, the revelation of forgiveness leads us to be more generous with our time, with our money, even with forgiveness. It's easier for me to forgive other people because I've been forgiven. And I don't serve, I don't give, I don't do these things to be forgiven. I do these things because I'm forgiven. Because if I try to do these things to be forgiven, I'm trying to earn it. I'm trying to work for it. And it's it's just not gonna happen. And Titus chapter three tells us that, that we're saved not by our righteous works, but according to his own mercy. And so I worship because I've been given grace by a gracious God and he has forgiven me and changed my life. This woman is at his feet because her life has been changed by the forgiveness and mercy that comes only through Jesus. Forgiveness leads us to uh, love. You know, Jesus said she loves much because she's been forgiven much, and and loving Jesus doesn't merit forgiveness. But being forgiven motivates our love for him. Um, see, this woman greatly does because she's aware that there's a debt that she could not pay that has been forgiven. And, and going back to that parable, we can't get hung up on the amount of debt or the amount of sin. Let me ask you this question if that's, if that's our thought. How much sin has to be in our life for us to be a sinner? Any, any small bit. And we're a sinner. See, we like to justify it. We like to come up with levels of sin. You know, we like to put on a spectrum. Well, this was just a little white lie. I'm not as bad as, you know, we'll go the spectrum. I'm not as bad as Hitler, who killed millions of people. So we've just set a spectrum, and then we like to find out where we are in that spectrum to say, I'm really not that bad. That, that's where Simon was. Simon said, I don't need forgiveness, she's the sinner. Simon wasn't aware of a debt. Can I I tell you that regardless of our sin, the cost of forgiveness is the same? It costs us the blood of Jesus. So it doesn't, remember, if you have a debt you cannot pay, it doesn't matter the amount because you can't pay it. Our sin is a debt that we cannot pay and it requires a pardon. And because God so loved us, that he made a way for that pardon to happen. I mean, we are spiritually bankrupt and he paid for it. What I've seen with this revelation of forgiveness is, is I become more generous and, and it leads me into worship, but I become more loving. I become more loving to God, I become more loving to other people, I become more loving to, to religious people, I become more loving to people who who don't know Jesus. i become more loving to, yes, even people I'm stuck in traffic with on I-35, which I gotta tell you, I got a text from Fred this week. Fred was worship, one of our worship leaders who sang Good, Good Father. He sent me a text this week and he said, bro, I didn't know you got a new truck. And I was like, I didn't either. Um, but it, I opened up the text and it was a picture of the back of a uh, SUV and the license plate said, I-H-8-I-35. I hate I-35. And I was like... I feel, why didn't I think it at first? I was like, ah, oh. it even, the love of God has so transformed my life, it even changes how I love the people that I'm sitting on 35 with. Or I'm sitting and they're cutting me off. We'll put it that way, okay? I'm not bitter at all, but I love them. I love them. I love them. I've seen this played out in my marriage. I can tell you that I love Heather today more than the day that we stood before the altar and got married. Because when we got married, she hadn't lived with me yet. She hadn't had to deal with my stuff. And 23 years later, even with all my stuff, I mean, our our towel incidents and our home improvement project, home improvement projects, that's the closest we've been to divorce. I'm telling you, it's, it's not good. But we've learned a trick. Pray with each other before you do those home improvements because it's really hard to fight and be mad at each other when you've just prayed for each other. It just really is. So it really takes the fun out of it, but it gets the job done, right? Um, so I won't share any stories. I'll save those for our next marriage conference. You know? <laughs> we've been through some crazy stuff with home improvements. But the revelation of knowing that she knows all of my faults and still loves me, leads me to love my wife even more. And how I love my wife, how I love the people on 35, how I love religious people, how I love lost people, it's a reflection of how I love God. Because Jesus told his disciples, the world will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Leads us to be more loving. And this revelation of forgiveness leads us to peace. Peace. Leads us to peace. I, I know a lot of people who have um, will say, you know, I, I've, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've, I've given my life to Him, but I just don't have that, that peace. I don't have that assurance. I don't, how do I know? Verse 50 Jesus said, Your faith has saved you. So only faith saves us, only faith in Jesus saves us, nothing else has saved you, go in peace. That that literally translates, go into peace. So Jesus is saying, you're going into something, there's a destination that you will arrive in, and that is peace. And and so it's the peace that passes understanding. It's the peace that brings assurance to know that we're forgiven, to know that we're saved. And and so we we wrestle with this a lot sometimes. How do I know? Well, let's, let's set some foundational questions here. How are we saved? We're saved when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and we repent of our sins. We realize that we have a debt we cannot pay and we repent of those sins and we ask for his pardon of our debt. Scripture tells us that if we believe with our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then we're like, well, how do I know? I mean, how do I, how can I be absolutely sure? How do I know we're safe? Because this woman, Jesus says, go in peace. So maybe a couple weeks later, she's wrestling in this transitional life. You know, we're not in heaven yet, so we still deal with sin. I don't want to go back to my old life because I know how empty that was. Think about this woman in this transition of, of I don't want to go prost- back to prostitution, but that paid the bills, and I, I've, I've got bills I've got to do, but I want to pursue Jesus, but but, I'm, I'm, what do I do? How do I do this? And she maybe starts talking to some people she knows. And and they may not know the forgiveness of Jesus, and they're like, well, well, so Jesus said what? Your sins are forgiven. Because... 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And so for the woman, what did Jesus say? He said, you're forgiven. Well, how do you know that you're forgiven? And this woman could have said, Jesus said so. The word of God said so. The Gospel of John starts out talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, who is the Word, said the Word, you are forgiven. When you start wrestling with that and you're not feeling that peace, go back to the Word. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an assurance through faith that we've been forgiven and he continues to tell us you are forgiven, you're the righteousness of God, you are redeemed, you're a new creation. But how do I know I'm saved? Jesus said so. That message he gave that that woman might have been in the crowd, all who are weary come to me and I will give you rest. Well what's the proof of salvation? How do we know this woman was saved? Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven, go in peace. How do we know she was saved? The revelation of forgiveness at work in this woman's life led her to love deeply, and that love was expressed to Jesus in sacrificial devotion. So, what I wrestle with is am I living in the revelation of forgiveness, expressing my love for Jesus in sacrificial devotion? Am I more generous? Am I more generous in worship? Am I more generous with, with my time, with, with the money that God trusts me with, with forgiveness, with love? Do I understand that I have this great debt that could not be paid that Jesus paid for? Because to live in the revelation of forgiveness, I need a revelation of awareness of this debt. And I, I, I hear people say this to me um, I'm a good person. And I wouldn't say this to their face, and for you guys, I wouldn't say this to their face, but we've here's what we've all said this, but here's what we're looking for when we say that we're looking for a justification before man. What we need is a justification before God, and that only happens through the blood of Jesus that only happens when we accept his grace and forgiveness in our life. I don't share stories a lot, um, but I came across a story this week that I do wanna share with you because I think it really drives us home. In 1830, there was a man named George Wilson who had been arrested for stealing mail. It was mail theft. And the penalty for mail theft in 1830 was hanging. So he's in jail waiting to be hung And Andrew Jackson, who's the president, finds out about this, and he pardons George Wilson. But George Wilson won't accept the pardon. So there's this great debate happening. Do we hang him or do we set him free? Because the president pardoned him, but he won't accept the pardon. So there's this big debate and big hassle going on. And the chief justice for the Supreme Court, John Marshall at the time, gave this decision. And I want to read it to you. He said, a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. Last night when I was reading this, you know, I felt God challenged me, read this decision in our debt of sin, in our penalty of sin. Here's what it would say based on Jesus's forgiveness. The blood of Jesus that was poured out on the cross is only blood on a cross. The value of that blood is determined by the acceptance of the person that needs forgiveness of sin. If that blood is refused, there is no pardon. And we therefore are condemned to hell. There's nothing I can do to make you accept the grace and forgiveness of God. I can just tell you how sweet it is, how good it is, and how alive it is. But that blood that was shed on Calvary by Jesus covers your sin. And the pardon stands ready to be given. But you have to accept it. And that's the challenge for every one of us to accept the pardon of Jesus or walk away. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. And we ask you, God, to open our eyes to the revelation of your forgiveness. Um, Maybe first open our eyes to our need for forgiveness that there is no amount of good that we can muster up um, that makes us deserving of your pardon. We need your pardon because we are under the penalty of death. We need your grace. And we're asking for you to forgive us. God, I'm praying for that person in here who's never accepted your pardon. And today that revelation is been made real in their life and I'm asking you to give them the courage to just say, Jesus, I I need your pardon and I accept your pardon and I'm asking you to make me new. I'm asking you to be my Savior and my Lord. That the blood that you paid for on the cross paid for my sin." the same power that raised you from the dead is the power that raises me to a new life. God, I thank you for salvation. I thank you for your forgiveness because it changes everything about us. Lord, help us to love you like this woman. It's all for your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at infothecreekfw.com. At